I also want to congratulate all the, th- the three graduates here. Now, this is not graduation Sunday. We're going to have graduation Sunday next week for you guys where we can embarrass you a little bit more. But right now, would you just stand up? John? Four? Ace, man. Sorry about that, Ace. Ace is the place. Amen. Thank you, guys. And graduation today is for, the, uh, John's already graduated, so he's ahead of the rest. You know, Northwest Academy, they normally are a little ahead of the group, aren't they, John? Uh, but Charlevoix has her graduation today. Petoskey has her graduation today. So um, thanks for being with us today, uh, graduates. And, uh, uh, and next week, we're going to welcome you to the real world. So anyway, thank you. Wow. Isn't it great when the Lord shows up? And isn't it obvious that he should show up at his house? I mean, this is his house, right? I mean, we are a guest today of God because we are coming into his house. Pretty awesome, isn't it? Um, I have a handout that I'd like to have my uh, hander outers hand out, please. I want to talk today about intercessory prayer some more. And I want to talk about it in a way that I think it brings it to pass so that we don't get caught up so many times in the hype and in the excitement and in the maybe expectations that may be a little bit over the top. God is an over the top God. But sometimes we, in our expectations, sometimes I think that we might get ourselves into a state of confusion. And I want to talk a little bit about that today. And I want to, and, and I want to talk about it from the perspective of a sermon or a teaching from, that Martin Luther um, presented back in the 1500s. So this is not my idea. I wasn't around when Martin Luther was here, but Martin Luther was a very prominent person. And if we didn't have a gentleman like Martin Luther, we may still be in the Dark Ages. Because Martin Luther was very important. He was a Protestant revolutionary that kind of broke off from the Catholic Church that was dominant back in the, in the Middle Ages, in the Dark Ages. And it was not a good time. It was a time when there was a lot of misconceptions and it was a time when uh, the Christians of that age, um, if they were Christians, I, I, I can't even believe they were, the way they lived, how they persecuted and how they killed people if people didn't believe the way they, they, the way they believed. Um, they were off base significantly in their theology. And Martin Luther sought God. Martin Luther worked diligently to find who God was, and he became the, the reformer of our will uh, of, for us at that point from that particular group of that philosophy of thinking. 
And the Protestant Reformation began to change the, the bad way of the Dark Ages, of the Middle Ages. And Luther taught that salvation is a free gift of God, but it is not separate from good works. And they come together. We, are, we receive salvation through a free gift called grace and faith. But yet there are works associated as a result of our salvation. Not to give us our salvation, but as a result of our salvation, we do good works. Because that's just what naturally comes as I'm a new man. And I'm a new woman, then I just have the desire. My desires have changed. And now I do good works as a result of the change in my life. And it's very important that we keep that order uh, in practice. Now, don't read ahead here. Everybody's got their heads down reading ahead. It's no fair if you're reading ahead. Man, you guys are worse than kids. Anybody remember, did anybody hear what I just said? No. Because you are reading the paper. <laughs> well, the reason I passed it out was you can take notes on it and you can read when it's time to read. But anyway, we're going to read. We're going to let's start off here. Martin Luther, he, 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 this is all based upon Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10 and verses 13. So let's just jump into that and let's kind of set the basis for what Martin Luther was talking about. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. You can read this with me. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, uh, I, I always have a hard time with this word. Yes, that word. It's like aluminum. Aluminum. I can say that better sometimes. A centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. And Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority who has soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished, and he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Go, and it will be done just as you believed it would. So Martin Luther begins his sermon an intercessory prayer by saying, and now you can read with me, some people claim that we can ask God to do things on behalf of people and know it will be done. It's understandable to think that, for Jesus promised that our prayers would cause things to happen, especially when we keep at it. Okay, there's a break. Stop reading. Paul talks about this as well, and to the Colossians and also to the Romans, about us being diligent in our prayers. Diligent in our prayers, in, in, without ceasing, increasingly stronger in our prayers, not just a weak little prayer at dinner time to bless his food or a little prayer at night to lay me down to sleep, but to 
continue in our prayers, when we do that, when we can do that, when we can exercise that faith muscle, that prayer muscle that my wife talked about a few weeks ago, when we can do that, we are now, we are then releasing the power, the power of God. Not just the presence of God, the power of God to do mighty things on our behalf when we do that. In Colossians 1 9, it says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. This is Paul talking to the Ecclesians people. He has not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Consistently praying. Romans 9, I'm sorry, Romans 1, verses 9 through 10. It says, for God is my witness. Boy, when you say that, it's kind of interesting. It's what's he going to say next? When he says, for, when, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. You know, that's pretty strong words for Paul to say. It's one thing to say, I pray, I'm going to pray for you. I'll pray for you. But when he says, for God as my witness, he better really pray. Otherwise, what has he done? He's sinning. Because now he's saying, God is my witness. And then when you say that, you better do what you want God to witness. So therefore, when he says, for God is my witness, that I will without ceasing mention you always in my prayers. So we are instructed to pray. Obviously, we are instructed to pray consistently to God. And not only do we, does God desire our prayers, but he commands us to pray. Now, why do you think he does that? Why do you think God commands us to pray? Do you think he does it because he needs my ideas to answer, to how to answer my prayer? Do you think God is up there kind of thinking, duh, I'm not sure what to do here. So you better tell me, you better pray to me, and you better tell me what you want, because I don't know how to answer the prayer. It's interesting to know that in those two scriptures right there, the word his will came up twice. In Colossians 1.9, it says, asking God to fill you with the understanding of his will. And then in Romans chapter 1, it says that asking that somehow by God's will... I may now at least succeed in coming to you. So what I want to talk about there right now, I want to make that point right there that we have to pray in God's will. And we're going to talk about that more later, but that's just keep that in your mind. That we have to talk about, we have to pray in God's will. And this is sometimes where we get a little bit confused. And this is sometimes where if we don't line ourselves up with God's will, we get our prayers a little bit ahead or a little bit behind, and either case, we have problems. It's like getting your horse in front of the buggy. Scott, that, I mean, getting your buggy in front of the horse. That wouldn't work very good, would it, Scott? No. What would you have to do in that case, Scott? Yeah. And then probably walk the horse home. You ever done that before? <laughs> Well, we have to make sure that we, that we keep our prayers in the right perspective. And we have to pray God's will in our lives. And, and we're going to continue to talk about that. Because I think sometimes we take it to the far extreme where we think that we're the boss. 
And God is the prayer answerer. And now we just can say, God, whatever we say goes because you said so in your word that whatever I pray is you're going to answer. And yes, he said that, but we have to keep it under the proper context. And I think the enemy sometimes will take our context and get our context screwed up, not to help us, but for our disaster. He will take the words, the same words, put them in a different context and mean a totally different thing. We always have to remember that God's will works. And God's will is what he answers according to, not my will, but to thy will be done. Okay, now let's keep reading. I don't want to jump ahead too quick. You can read with me. But look at the biblical intercessors again. Their success was very real, but far from complete. Abraham stuck his neck out with a rightly angry God, but could only save his relatives. Moses' people were spared immediate destruction, but his generation would not get the land God had promised. The next generation did. All of David's deep and totally sincere weeping and begging could not save his baby son, though it did set up for the birth of his successor. There is no evidence Paul ever lost a thorn in his side. It may have helped his ministry in some ways, but at some point one runs out of the lessons from such a thorn. The apostles prayed for unity of the church and gained much unity, but still had serious divisions. They prayed for each of the poor, but had more poor number members by the day. They had hundreds of people pray constantly for their safety, but they died martyrs' deaths. Okay, stop reading. All right. Uh, did you hear what this, this said? Of all the people that should have had their prayers answered, these are the people that should have had their prayers answered. Exactly the way they want them to be, to be answered. Right? Moses, Paul, David, um, all of, you know, Abraham. But yet God answered their prayers only to the point that he did. He didn't answer the prayer completely the way they prayed it to be answered. Wow, does that shake your faith a little bit? Does that shake you up a little bit? God heard the prayers. And he answered the prayers. And he answered them in the ways that accomplished the things that he determined to be the best or in the way that he only can for that situation. And he did it for them, and he's also doing it for you. Let's continue on. In such cases, God's mercy does not override God's purpose, nor God's justice, not to mention our own wills. We cannot fathom God's purpose or know for certain what God knows about what is to be. Do, what is to, to be. God's love simply has a broader, deeper, longer work to do. And sometimes what we pray for simply cannot find a place within that work. The intercessor sometimes must accept even the most bitter of losses with the awareness that their prayers did not and sometimes must not avail. This is the mystery of intercession. This is not the way the name it and claim it people have been taught. This is not the way some people will look at prayer. And I don't want to, I don't want to blow your, your theology. I want to make it proper. I'm not against God answering prayer. And I know that God will answer prayers. He will heal people and he will deliver us. 
But we have to keep it in the context here that how God heals and how God delivers. And he has a bigger plan for my life and he has a broader love for me than just my wants. He understands me better than I understand myself. And he knows how to answer the prayer. Broader than just the way I think. And this is really important that we understand this because this is one of the biggest points, I believe, of Christian confusion that the enemy brings in our life because that tool that he uses, that doubt that he brings to me, the questions that he brings to me that says, you know what, if God really loved you, then he would answer your prayers. If God really loved you, he would do what you want him to do. Or what about this one? Why does God heal some people and not others? Or how can somebody that is not living a godly life, how can they make lots of money? And here a person that struggles, that's a a good Christian man or a good Christian woman, and they struggle in their finances. You know the questions, and they go on and on and on. Those are the typical woe is me type question. Woe is me, God. Why? Where did you forget me? You know, why, why, why? All those questions. Let's continue on what Martha Luther says. Don't read yet. But Martin Luther says that there are three things that God's mercy does not override. Number one, God's purpose. Number two, God's justice. And number three, our will. Let's talk about those for a minute because these are very important. God has a plan for me personally. He has custom designed my life. And he has a plan for me personally. He has a plan for you personally. He has a plan for this church. He has a plan for this community. He has a plan. And sometimes when we pray contrary to that plan, what is that going to mean? Does that mean that God is going to change his plan according to my prayer? No. God's purpose is always going to win. Now, that doesn't mean we're predestined. Okay, we talked about that in the Sunday school class today. We're not talking predestination. My view of predestination is that God is omniscient, meaning that he knows all. He knows the decisions I'm going to make before I make them. But I still have the free will to make every decision I make. So when I make my decisions, it's my decision I'm responsible for it. I will pay the consequences of it. It's my decision. God just happened to know what it was before I made it. So that's real simple, in my opinion. So God will not overrule his purpose. We don't always see God's purpose. That's our problem, because from where we stand, from where we sit, we can only see what we can see. We can't see the bigger picture. We can't see the broader love that God has. We can't see the broader picture that he has for our life. All we see is that little bit of a slice that we have in our time, and that's basically the present. I can't see the future. And the past is is, is gone. I can't do anything about that either. All I have is right now the, the, the seconds that I see in my day. And if that's what I'm basing God's ability on, that I'm making him a kind of a small God. If I don't want to serve a God that doesn't have a bigger plan. Do you? I don't want to serve a God that's, that's, that's basically waiting for me to figure it out. 
Because if that's the God I served, then why do I need him? I want to serve a God that has a bigger plan for me, that's got a broader love for me, that's got a bigger purpose for my life, and now my job is to find it, not create it, not come up with it, not, not, not design it. He's already got the design done. He's already designed it. My job is to find it. My job is to line myself up with it. My job is to have the trust that I know that God has everything under his control. And no matter what happens in my life today, I trust him. Do you? Do you trust God? Is your God that big in your life that you can trust him with his purpose to be done? Okay, God will also not override his justice. When God gave mankind free will in the beginning, that automatically came with consequences. When Eve ate the apple, she unleashed the law of consequences on all mankind. It's her fault. Women. Man. Watch it. A yellow card came up over here for my wife, so I've got to watch it. But this is one of the things that God cannot overturn for us. Even if we prayed that way, our consequences of our actions to be removed, they cannot be removed. Think about it. But fortunately, through the blood of Christ that we drank today, symbolically we drank the blood of Christ today in our communion service, that even though we cannot, he cannot overturn the justice of consequences, he gives us a grace that he forgives our life so that we can have eternal life that is much more important than my 80 years on this life. Let's keep that in perspective. What's most important here is that I live to be, that, I, that it's my 81st year, not my 80th year. <laughs> Hear me right? The moment I take my last breath, what I've done in those previous 80 years determines where I'm going to spend the next billions of years. So if I have consequences here that I have to bear, then so be it. But don't shake my faith over it. Because God will not overturn consequences, but he will give me grace and he'll give me strength to bear up underneath them. And I will not, he will not use them against me if I am faithful in asking him to forgive me. It's our choice. He will not overturn consequences, but he will forgive. And he will restore forever and ever. So I have to keep that in my mind. I, do, I cannot let him, I cannot let the devil play that game with me. I cannot let the devil play that card with me to say, you know what, if God really loved you, he would take that consequence away from you. He cannot take that consequence away from you. He cannot overrule that consequence. But he will give you the grace and the strength to live up underneath it. And from that, he, you know what else he does? He takes what the Satan, what the enemy um, calls for evil, and he makes it good. And he will turn that negative consequence into a benefit for you. As you learn from that, you won't do that again. And you won't step in that hole again. And you'll, and you'll have a better life as a result of that because you will have learned from those consequences as well. 
The third thing that God will not override is our will. Boy, oh boy, this is a tough one because, you know, this, this um, really makes what we do important. Oh, because, you know, God is a gentle God. And he's a gentleman. And he will not override what you do. So we have to be careful then that we always apply the blood of Christ in our life. We have to do that. We have to every day, like we talked about a little bit earlier, we have to apply the blood of Christ. We have to ask for forgiveness. We have a responsibility here that we have to understand that we are in a divine cooperative, as Dr. David Jeremiah talked to us a few weeks ago about, that we do have a responsibility. And as we live our life, and as we keep our will under check, and as we use our will to live as close to God as we can, rather than how close to the world and get away with things as we can, then we're empowering God to be more of a powerful, powerful God in our life. And it's so important then that we understand that our will is important. Who was a good example of this? Let's read on. Go back to your paper and you can read with me. We should follow the example of Jesus who prayed on Thursday that he not have to go through what he was to go through that Friday. He prayed, not my will, but thine. In this garden prayer, he was not praying himself into death. He was praying with the confidence that whatever was needed to happen would and should and must happen. And through that, apparently, and, and though that apparently meant death, so be it. Jesus taught his disciples to pray that God's purposes must be fulfilled everywhere, right here on earth, not just in the hereafter. Praying thy will be done is not the same thing as praying with doubt. It is the act of putting your trust in whom it belongs. God has something more in store for you. That is why you get to breathe your next breath. When you step forward in faith, you can stand in that confidence, whatever happens with your specific prayer. There's another trick of the enemy coming on here. And that is that um, how many times have you heard it said? When you pray for somebody, you pray the sickness out, you pray their prosperity in, and you just pray it, pray it, pray it, pray it. And if you pray, well, but God, your will be done, it's, it's, a, it's an admonition that you don't have faith. I've been taught that way, that you don't pray that way. You pray, you pray your desires. But that's not what Jesus tells us to do. He tells us to pray God's will. Do you think that God's will for you is pain? Do you think that God's will for you is sickness? Do you think that God's will for you is, is, is poverty, destruction, evil? No. God's will for you is health and strength and prosperity and living a good life. So when I pray God's will... I'm praying that I can line myself up with that prosperity and that health and that good life that God wants me to have. And when I, ha and when I have to pray my own desires, I'm praying contrary in some cases to the purposes of God in my life. 
Because God says, no, you have to go through this first before you can get that. And if I'm not willing to go through that first, then I may not be able to get that because I may not be able to handle that. Does that make sense? I have to go through the process. When Jesus prayed, when he prayed, Thy will be done, Father. Lord, take this cup away from me. He didn't, by him accepting God's will over his, this wasn't a defeat in his prayer life. It was a fulfillment of it. Let me say that again. When Jesus prayed, Thy will be done, Father, this didn't pray him into death as a defeat. It was a fulfillment of God's prayer life. It was a fulfillment of the will that had to happen in Jesus' life. So when I pray, Father, I really want this. Lord, I'm really praying for healing. I'm really praying for prosperity. I'm really praying for my kids. I'm really praying for this. And I can say, Lord, I'm praying for that. And Lord, and with all that said, your will be done. Your will be done. You do it the way you want to do it in my life so that it accomplishes the things that you want to have happen in my life for my benefit and for your glory. Because you have to do it the way you need to do it so, so for my benefit. Because if you do it the way I think, I'm too short-minded. And it's not a fault of mine. It's just that that's all I know. But God has a deeper love. He's got a deeper understanding, a wider understanding, and he's got the way to look at it from a broader angle. And that's what I want in my life. Not just the immediate things that I have. Let's continue with Martin Luther. Before I continue with that, when Jesus prayed, when we pray, so many times, if I walk up to John, John, how are you? What's your name? What's your name? Uh, What do you do, John? Uh, Hey, John, well, what, what about things, you know, how are things going in your life? Are you going to get married? Well, what's going on, John? Uh, you know, I think out. So here, if I'm having a conversation with you, and if I'm just rattling off my questions um, and not giving you a chance to respond, what kind of a relationship are we having? Uh, one way. <laughs> one way. Really, two ways. <laughs> I should have picked a non. I should have picked a non-way. <laughs> but yet, how many times is that the kind of conversation we have with God? How many times do when I pray, I just keep bombarding him with my requests and I just keep hollering at him? Now, I can I can get angry with God. I can ask him questions. I can do that. But I just keep talking, talking, talking. And I'm and I'm praying and I may be praying in the spirit and I may be praying absolutely correctly. But, you know, there comes a time that if I'm going to have a proper relationship, if I'm going to have a proper communication, I need to stop. And I need to listen. When Jesus talked to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was a, com- there was a communication. Because Jesus said, Lord, God, I don't want to go through this. I know what it's going to be like, and I don't want to have to go through that. Is there any way? Is there any way that you can take that away? And then he listened. And God talked. And he heard. And then he said, all right, not my will, then your will be done. And then let it be as it was. And that's the way we need to pray. We don't, we don't need to pray so quick. We don't need to be prayed so... And, and, and that's a problem. A lot of people have a, time, have a hard time with praying because they don't think... They think, well, what am I going to say for 15 minutes? Nothing. Maybe you, maybe you talk for 10 seconds. 
and then listen for the rest of the time. That's kind of intercession. It's kind of giving God an opportunity to be God rather than just a big request session. So when we have Tuesday night prayer time here and three, four people show up, maybe you're praying someplace else. (laughs) Okay, good. I hope you are. But when we have this time, it's not. It's not. Let's not. Let's not think about prayer has, of, of having to come and just come prepared with your questions. You don't have to come with your notebook full of questions to ask God. Maybe it's just a matter of coming and listening for a while, and listening to His voice, and then being able to understand and hear what He wants you to do. Okay, let's continue. None of us are fully aligned with God's purposes. There will always be a difference between the two. It's okay to ask for what you want from the situation. That's part of being honest with God. You can pray that your requests somehow be found in the divine purposes and pray for doorways to a better way if it can't be. Maybe God will provide you with a ram as with Abraham when, suffering, when sacrificing Isaac. But God may have other plans, and your part is to trust that God's plans will be best. This is called spiritual maturity. This is called growing up in Christ. This is called becoming a trustworthy member of God's family. God has a position for us. He has an area of responsibility for us. He has a home for us. He already has a place prepared for me in heaven if, if, if I will ask for it. And then I will trust him for it. Our prayers should be really, should be more like line us up with your purpose, God. Line me up with your will. Line me up with what you want me to do rather than just gimme, gimme, gimme. Now, gimme, 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 when I read this, this reminded me of a, of, a, of a TV show, of a movie called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Anybody ever seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is about uh, this rich man that was a chocolate manufacturer, a candy manufacturer, and he had the best chocolate in the world. Everybody wanted a Willy Wonka chocolate bar. So what he did is that he, he, he was going to, and he was, he was all by himself. He was an old man, and he was getting older in his years, and he had no one. He didn't have anybody to give this factory to. So he was going to give it to a child that would be worthy of receiving the chocolate factory. So how he did it was he put out a little coupon and candy bars, six different coupons and six different candy bars. And if you were lucky enough to get one of those coupons from all the children in the world, then you could come to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. And then through that, you would spend a day or so with him. And then he was going to pick which one would get the Chocolate Factory. So these six kids came. And here's the thing. All the kids that came besides Charlie were the gimme, gimme, gimme type. And they got into the chocolate factory and they got so overwhelmed with the chocolate that they forgot about Willy Wonka. And to their, divide, to their demise, what happened to all of them, some of them, some of them got, got, actually fell into the chocolate-making machines and turned into candy bars. And some of them became lollipops. 
And some of them became chewing gum. And it was not good for the gimme, gimme, gimme's. Because all they wanted was what Charlie had or what Willy Wonka had. And they got their eyes off of, the, of, of Willy Wonka. And they got their eyes on the chocolate. And that's where, they, that's, where they, that's where they wanted. And that's the way we are so many times in our prayer life. That we get our eyes off of God, the Creator, and, we get our, and our eyes are focused on the world. All the benefits, all the good, all of the candy of the world. And then we are at risk of becoming a Willa Wonky Wonka chocolate bar. And if you do that, you know what? You're going to miss heaven. You're going to be one really good chocolate bar, but you're going to miss heaven. And here's the kicker. You're going to be the best chocolate bar that melts in hell. Because the chocolate is not going to stand up to the fire of eternal hell. So Willa Wonka isn't very spiritual, but yet we can get a spiritual context out of it. Because now I need to keep my eyes focused on the creator and not on the creation and that's so important for us to do that. And that's where real prayer has to come in. Let's continue on so we can get this thing done because I don't want to uh, continue it. Let's, uh, let's pray. or let's, uh, let's read. Intercessory prayer does not work by our own power as if we were the Almighty. When prayer is answered, it is answered in God's way. And it may not be like at all like the victory you are claiming. Wow. Much of the time, the Spirit's main work is to change you. To make you care more and to get you to focus on what others are going through instead of only seeing it from where you are. Wow. Do you see it? Do you see what prayer is really all about now? It's not about us having to tell God what's on our mind. It's not about us having to to tell him what to do. He already knows what to do. It's not about us having to tell God how to run the universe. He created it. It's not about us having to inform God of our needs. He already knows them. What it really is, it's about me lining myself up with God's will. Prayer is developing that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 26 through 28 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. There it is again. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So our purpose then in prayer, as we conclude is really developing the eternal relationship with this triune God being Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father that we are going to be spending an eternity with. Our purpose of prayer is to develop the relationship with the Creator that I will spend eternity with forever and ever and ever. And the only way that I'm really going to be able to appreciate that then is to have a relationship with him now. I will never be able to appreciate what it is knowing Jesus in a thousand years from now if I don't appreciate what the relationship is that I have with him today. 
Because today I see the pain. Today I see the misery. Today I see the heartache. In a thousand years from now, I won't have remembered that. And I won't see that anymore. And I won't really appreciate it until I can say, Lord, I can remember. I remember when we prayed. I remember when I was on my face before you. I was remembering when I was having that struggle and I knew that you came beside me and you lifted me up. And you carried me through. And as I was interceding or as I was having that problem, that you were there to, 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 to help me in that tough time. So the only, time I'm, the only way I'm really going to appreciate God's eternal nature is when I appreciate and learn about him now. And that's my responsibility. That's my will. And that's my responsibility to do that. And it's your responsibility to do that. So when we pray, when we call you to prayer, it's not because we want you to be boring people that pray, because that's not what prayer is. That's the devil's version of prayer, and that's why he doesn't want you to do it, because he wants to make it boring. But when you pray, what you're doing is you're unleashing the power of the Holy Spirit. You're unleashing the power of the Creator God to do in your life what needs to be done. And that's exactly why the enemy says prayer is boring. Because he doesn't want you to pray. He doesn't want you to. He doesn't want you to be an intercessor. Because when you intercede, things happen. If you want a relationship with Jesus, the only way you're going to get that is when you pray. I cannot have a relationship with John unless I talk to John. And then I have to listen to John. And it's not just the one time. Now, John and I had a conversation. Does that mean that John and I are best friends? No, we're an acquaintance. The only way I become a good friend of John's is that I talk to him over time. So now if I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus, I need to pray. I need to communicate with him over time. So my equation is prayer divided by time or prayer over time yields relationship with Jesus. I can't have a relationship with him if I don't pray to him. I can't. No more than I can have a relationship with you if I don't talk to you. You can be my neighbor, but if I don't talk to you, then we're doing have a relationship. I can see you every day. I can see you in church. I can see you. But I don't have a relationship with you unless I spend time with you. I know who God is. You know who God is. But that doesn't mean you have a relationship with him unless you what? Say it aloud with me. I want you to say it. <laughs> unless we pray. And then I can develop the relationship with God as I pray. Devil, we're taking you out of this equation. We're calling you out. We are, we are telling you that we understand your strategy. And your strategy is to keep me from praying. Because when he keeps me from praying, he wins. And I lose. So right now, there is, everybody in, in this room is no longer ignorant of prayer. You cannot use that against me anymore. Against you. Ignorance is not bliss. 
So when you have to develop a prayer life, you do it for your benefit. So that you unleash the power of God in your life. Finally, last verse, Mark chapter 12, verse 30. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Is he leaving anything out there? Mind, heart, soul, strength. Pretty much everything we are. So then how should I pray? With my heart, with my mind, with my soul, and my strength. If you'd stand with me. As you close your eyes and ask yourself a couple questions. What has prayer been for you? Has it been the request sessions? Has it been has it been hard for you to pray because every time you came into prayer you did you ran out of things to say and then you thought you were done praying? If that's what prayer is for you, I hope we've just changed it for you. Because maybe you shouldn't talk so much anyways. Maybe it should be a time where you just let God talk to you. Do you want a relationship with Jesus? You spend time with Jesus. How do you spend time with Jesus? You pray. You can do that in your car. You can do that on the tractor. You can do that on your motorcycle. You can do that when you're walking. You can do that in church. You don't have to come to the altars to pray, but you have to pray. You have to pray. Father, as we pray this, this morning, as we, as we go home to our homes, Lord, we thank you for this revelation. We thank you, Father, for this word of instruction, this word of encouragement. Lord, we thank you that Martin Luther spent the time to understand some of the principles so that we then can understand some of the principles. And Lord, that you laid them clearly out in your word and that we have to dig for them sometimes and understand what they mean. So Father, I pray that we learn what intercession is really about. It's not about us just telling you what we want. It's not about us just laying it on the line. But, Lord, it really is me listening to your voice and me listening for the still, small, quiet voice of the Lord that would say, yes, I hear you. I hear you. Father, help us to want that relationship. Help us to want that experience. And Lord, as we do, Lord, we release the authority that you give us to answer the prayers according to your will for our life. And Lord, we ask this now. We ask this now in Jesus' name. And everybody says, 
Amen. Amen. Have a great day today. And pray.